Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> the reports mentioned over and over during the Massachusetts years that you, in addition, have uh, fantasies or curiosity about what human flesh would taste like. I never had any interest in any form of cannibalism. There are plenty of reasons why you shouldn't eat people these days. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and... And I am Kevin. And we're coming back at you this week with episode number 74, Nathaniel Bar-Jonah. What was his original name? He's, oh, this is his second name. David Paul Brown, which we'll, we'll get into when we... Start, start. You know, if someone has two names, they're up to no good. Amy. Oh, you mean two different names? Yeah. Oh, okay. Emily. (laughs) Yeah, and like we said, we we probably were going to be late with the episode this week. Our kid got sick. I busted my dad out of a nursing home. It's been a a hectic week. And and school's back. And school's back to top it all off. So, So, yeah. A lot going on in the dumpster over here, so but better late than never, right? Yeah, and this is an episode we've been looking forward to doing, not because of the guy, but because it was requested by a special listener. If you go in the way back machine, I think I'm not sure what episode it was, but we had our it was good, back in February. Good buddy Mason on our podcast when we were in Portland, staying at his house, and we were discussing Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit. Yes. And actually, we were just in Portland watching some wrestling with him recently. And we watched a terrible movie. I I mean, it wasn't... It was good. It was called The Lost. I liked it. And it was about the Pied Piper of Tucson. His name was Charles Schmid. You're good with remembering names. Yes. I am shit at that. He is an interesting guy. We might cover him one of these times, but he's pretty heavily covered. He was recently covered by the Morbid podcast. If you guys are interested, they probably covered him like a month ago. But anyways, it's it's a it's a very it's a very interesting story. We might cover it one of these years cuz we've been doing this for years now. This is like That's kind of funny that we've been well, not years, years. Yeah, we're on uh, we started only almost 2 years 74. ago. I know. We started going every other week for a while, though. It's casual Friday every day here in the dumpster. <laughs> well, it's never casual for me, but maybe for you. It's more like chaos Friday. You haven't worn a shirt in like six months. That's why I moved down to California. <laughs> so I and cannot wear a, sta- a shirt year and, round. And a dad. Well, that just happened. Yeah. So anyways, yep. So this one's for Mason. Mason brought this up because... I don't know if anyone out there has heard of this dude, but this story is extremely fucked up. Yeah, and so I, think I guess there's there... a bit of a trigger warning because this oh, has yeah. got uh, like a lot of choking and uh, raping it's and um, in children. Some there's pedophilia, cannibalism, possibly potential cannibalism. Yeah, and and not even that, but feeding. We'll get to it. We'll get there. So yeah, enjoy. And I there's a couple. 
reasons that I think that maybe this guy isn't better known. One is that we do like to, as a society, we're really like, you know, morbidly interested in like cannibals and stuff like that. I mean, maybe you are Dahmer. Like he's, yeah, he's yeah. one of the big, would you say he's one of the big five? He's probably one of the more popular ones. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I would, I would put him top three, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy. Those are, I think are the top three. Cannibals? Oh, Ed Gein. No, I'm just thinking of serial killers. Right. But we're talking about cannibals, right? Yeah. But I'm just saying in the top five, four or five serial killers in, I would say, contemporary American history, at least one of them is a cannibal. Easily. So I think that we have some kind of, you know, fascination with cannibals. And Gacy was a a child killer. Yes. So it's not like we're totally disgusted. I mean, we are totally disgusted by cannibals and child killers, but it's not like we necessarily don't want to hear these stories about them. So that's one of the reasons that like, you know, why isn't this guy better known? And one, I think that it's just a combination of all of those things. You know, we can handle cannibals. We can handle uh, child killers. But I don't know if we could handle cannibalistic child killers. You know, he's kind of like all the terrible things wrapped up in one. And then on top of that, as you'll see, he's never actually tried for the things that he potentially did. So in a sense, he's not actually a killer, a convicted killer. As you get again, not trying to give any spoilers here, but looks like you know, he killed some hoagies. I think. What? I think if he looked like Ted Bundy, he would be a lot more popular. But he is like two Ted Bundys. You know what? That's a together. good point. He's, He's a big, fat, extremely fat, fat and ugly, and extremely fat. Well, so was Gacy. He was pretty fat and ugly. But he was a clown. <laughs> Everyone loves clowns. Everybody hates clowns, I Kevin. Hate cl- I fucking hate clowns. Every Most people do. Good. I mean, <laughs> I, act- I actually don't have big feelings about clowns. I have negative feelings for them. Well, this guy was neither a clown nor was he... Okay. Ted Bundy. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't Ted Bundy. Yeah. Not Ted Bundy. Yeah. So who was this guy? Well, let's talk about where we got a lot of our information from. I would have loved to have read the book, Eat the Evidence, which I think sounds really... It's a funny title just because it's got his big, ugly, fat ass on the cover. Well, not his ass, his face. (laughs) And this book was by Dr. John Epsey, and it's a part of a trilogy that came out a couple years ago. That takes a lot of time and energy. You know, maybe if I do tackle the trilogy one of these days, maybe we'll re-release the episode with you know an expanded script because it seems like we could share his recipes i yeah (laughs) i started reading just a couple excerpts from the book and it brought so much information that no newspaper article or anything for like murderpedia could have given so i was able to include a little bit of it at the beginning but for the most part most of the information I got was from a lot of it was from the Red Handed podcast. They covered him a couple of years ago. I got stuff from All That's Interesting, Medium, the Criminal Minds Wiki, because I guess there was a Criminal Minds episode kind of taken after this guy, and Murderpedia and Thought Co. 
So I got a lot of information from a lot of sources and a lot of it wasn't super consistent, which is one of the reasons I think I do want to read that trilogy by the doctor who interviewed this guy for like hundreds of hours. Are all three books just about him? Yeah. So uh -huh. Eat the Evidence. I think the next one is called... I don't, they, they all have like, you know, kitschy names. Apparently... It's very much written by a doctor and not necessarily a true crime writer. So some people found it to be semi unreadable, but just chock full of information because, you know, this guy's a psychiatrist. So anyways, let's get into it. Are some people just born bad? I'd like to think not. But serial pedophile and suspected cannibalistic killer Nathaniel Bar Jonah seems to be just that born bad. Absolutely. From very early on, he exhibited violent, disturbing, sexually sadistic tendencies. Additionally, he lived in a time and place where he could virtually fly under the radar, free to rape and prey on children. Enabled by both his family and inept law enforcement, Nathaniel Bar Jonah was the 375-pound boogeyman that we all need to fear. You don't have to worry about him hiding under your bed. He won't <laughs> no, fit. No, he won't fit. <laughs> As an infant, David Paul Brown, who would be later renamed Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Barjona, better known as Nathaniel Barjona. Why is that so hard for me to say? Jonia? Jonia. Nathaniel Barjona was diagnosed with hydrocephaly, where spinal fluid builds up in the brain, impending it to grow and develop normally. He was a waterhead? Mm -hmm. wow. And I have, I've had students that were born with hydrocephaly and again, nothing to do with that necessarily at all. It's just something I, I actually didn't know that until I read part of the excerpt from your Eat student. The Evidence. It's like, just was like water sloshing in her, in her head, but like some, no, 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 she was born with water. Don't so, their heads get big? No. Oh. Hydrocephaly just means water on the brain. And so it's just like extra fluid that a lot of times just messes with people's equilibrium. It doesn't necessarily mean that their head gets bigger or smaller or anything. I thought they had big water heads. No, oh. you are. Well, I think that maybe that can be it. But the only students I've ever had with hydrocephaly, they had normal sized heads. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. And actually no developmental delays or anything really. It just it can kind of mess with people's equilibrium yeah, though. It, totally it, it, it does make life a little more difficult, but I don't think it actually affected Nathaniel Barjona, just so you know. I'm a bit of a waterhead right now from surfing. I know. It sucks. He also had a very high fever for several days that could have caused some more brain damage. So again, like very early on we're seeing things that often are exhibited in serial killers, like early childhood trauma, especially to the head. Bedwetter? No, that's part of the that McDonald triad, which has kind of been disproven. But I, I don't think he exhibited signs, any signs from the McDonald triad, which is fire starting, bedwetting, and torturing animals. Right. I don't actually think he exhibited any of those things. Because he didn't torture animals. He just tortured people. He he, he, just, he skipped he, all that. Yeah, he skipped all of that and just went straight to like serial pedophile like super duper early on. Real go-getter. In his teens, he was diagnosed with hypofrontality, his ability to be able to discern right from wrong in the moment and was not able to foresee the consequences of his behavior. So a before complete he did sociopath. Stuff. Yeah, it sounds like shit was really fucked with his brain from very early on. So Bar Jonah hid his depravity for boys by pretending to be a good Christian and believed he was sent by God to, quote, punish those children who enticed good men to commit evil. 
Ah, those good children. He also said that Dracula, along with Christ, were his only heroes. Interesting. Yeah. His mother was the understanding parent, uh, a.k.a. enabling parent, who was naive enough to think that her son could be helped, even though at seven years old, he was already doing shit, which we'll talk about in just a moment. When he was in the hospital with a near-fatal wound to his leg due to a sledding accident, the nurses said that he was a spooky little kid. Nonetheless, this Helena was born on February 15th, 1957 in Worcester, right? Is that how you say it? It looks like Worcester, but I know it's Worcester. Like, right? Isn't that how they say it? Worcester? Worcester. You're asking Massachusetts. me. Early on, it was obvious that he wasn't going to be a normal child, to say the least. Okay. Starting at the age of six, he would pick at his scabs until his skin festered. Ugh. Spooky little kid. Then proceeded to suck on the blood from his wound, which, you know, I pick at my scabs. I've licked my blood, but not to the point where I was like practically eating myself. Yeah. I mean, we used to, I grew up skateboarding and we'd always have scabs and we'd pick them off and eat them, call it beef Wait, jerky. Ew. Really? Yeah, we call it beef jerky. That's disgusting. I never ate my scab. But we never like self- vampirized our own wounds that much gross. gross we're boys i wasn't you know you're never a boy. <laughs> his mother was called multiple times from the school to tell her about this habit and how it was upsetting both the children and teachers <laughs> In I, I, could, I could only imagine in 1964 bar jonah received a ouija board for his seventh birthday yeah, this guy is just I'm the the stars did not align for this poor Well and and also it's just his mom didn't do anything. I mean, fucking for his seventh birthday she gave him a Ouija board. Did she think it was like an alphabet board or something? Was his mom Blanche Barton? <laughs> I mean, I think that when the Ouija board first came out, it was kind of seen as like a fun parlor game, you know, where it's like a spirit board, like I don't think it was meant to be as spooky as it is today. The whole spiritualism thing, that was like in the 50s and stuff, right? No, it was in like was the late on? 1800s, I think. Oh. Early 1900s, maybe. No, the Ouija board's been around for a very long time. I was just wondering when it was all popular to like try to communicate at the dead with like parties and stuff. I think it was, it was like, like, a, like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, the Ouija board was put out by like Parker Brothers or something or one of those Milton Bradley or one of those big game things. It was not meant to be serious. It wasn't. I don't think it caught on to being like a kind the of a cult. Yeah, I, the... I, I, I want to say that in the 50s, 60s, 70s is like pre-satanic panic. That's when it started getting a kind of a creepier vibe to it maybe like yeah like some stephen king shit and we stuff. used to make our own yeah instead of like doing homework me and my buddy nick would just make <laughs> these little ouija boards and eat mushrooms and talk to ghosts so we thought so he got this for his seventh birthday from his mom yeah. don't know if that's a smart parenting move or not because this probably would have been around the time that they were kind of being seen as a little more like satanic or like not cool to play with so should I take back Abigail's six-month present? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Using the promise of trying the board out, he lured a five-year-old neighbor into his basement and tried to strangle her down there. Ugh. Luckily, Barjona's mother heard the girl's screams and, he, and she ran downstairs and forced her son to let the little girl go. 
despite so that is seven years old. Yeah, seven years old. He's trying to strangle a little girl, like luring her under the false pretense of like playing with a Ouija board and trying to strangle her. Uh, yeah, sometimes when there's a rabid dog, you just got to put it down. I know. This dude's fucked. Sad. Despite having seen her own son do this, she took no action. And I'm assuming I'm the five-year-old girl barely probably even knew what happened to her. So in 1970, Bar decided to try to be a little piece of shit again. At this point, he's 13 years old, so still really young, but definitely some time has passed. And he promised another neighbor, a six-year-old boy, that they could go slutting. Instead, Bar lured the child to a secluded area and sexually assaulted him, i.e. raped him. 13-year-old kid raping a six-year-old. And there's probably choking involved as well, I'm, right? I'm sure. Yeah. Because like this, this guy's got a pretty he's got uh, a gnarly small MO. MO. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, a few years later, he planned to murder two boys in a, in a cemetery, but the boys became suspicious and they got away from him. So we're going to hear, we're going to kind of see and hear a lot of the almost maybes, you know, where it's just like this kid probably should have been identified early on and fucking given some kind of treatment or like something. Like around seven years old, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. During his senior year of high school, Barjona impersonated a police officer for the first time and abducted eight-year-old Richard O'Connor while he was on his way to school, raping and strangling him inside of his car. A neighbor observed the abduction and assault from a window and called the police. Officers were able to rescue O'Connor when he was unconscious and almost dead. Nathaniel Barjona was arrested and convicted, but given just one year's probation. That's insane. Which left him free to wander and plan his next attack. One year's probation, which, again, had he done it when he was 18 years old, it may have been a different story, but so, okay. nonetheless, okay, okay. one year's probation. Impersonating a cop. Raping and, and almost, almost strangling. And, yeah, you could pretty much say like attempted murder. Like if he had actually gotten uh, yeah. those legit charges and tried as an adult, he would have been potentially put away for a long time or at least sent to like some kind of state hospital or something. Because that in the 60s, state hospitals were still kind of being used, not like how they are today. Yeah, and like different, you know, police departments obviously weren't as connected as they are now. Yeah. Being in the 70s and stuff. And so uh, this guy just falls through the cracks time and time again. It's Yeah. You guys are going to see that as like a trend that happens throughout his life. Yeah. Just a few days before his graduation, as well as the conclusion of his sentence, which was the one year of probation, Barjona drove to Hartford, Connecticut and impersonated a police officer again. This time... He abducted a nine-year-old girl and proceeded to rape her in his car. But he threw her out soon after when she started to convulse and vomit. A witness got the license plate of his car and Barjona was arrested for the new incident. Fucking brutal, dude. So at this point, he's pretty much, he's 18 years old, so he's an adult. And like, I will say like, Something else that's kind of a pattern or a trend that we'll see is that he gets caught a lot by people who recognize him or are able to like get his license plate or are able to like put him out like in a lineup. He's not even good at hiding this shit. No, he he's terrible at it. He gets caught almost every time. But what's crazy is he gets caught almost every time, but he's not punished. 
Because as you're going to see with this, shit does not happen to him. It's insane. So after he abducts and rapes and throws this little girl out of his car after she starts to convulse and vomit, what happens, Kevin? Well, the report on this arrest never got back to Brown's probation officer. And he was released from probation in May of 1976 with a letter thanking him for his cooperation. So literally fucking nothing happened. Ain't that some fucking bullshit? Yeah. So on September 24th, 1977, Barjona impersonated an FBI agent and abducted two boys coming out of a movie theater. He drove them to a secluded area where they were handcuffed. Barjona, who weighed 375 pounds at the time, left one of the boys in the car's trunk while he took the other away and simultaneously tried to strangle and suffocate him with his weight until he thought he had killed him. The boy actually pretended to be dead and was able to remain still and all that, even when Barjona started blowing cigarette ashes in his face. When Barjona left, the boy ran away and reported him to the police. So he's getting caught again. Brown was arrested again, and the other boy was rescued. This time, Barjona was convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to between 18 and 22 years in prison. Finally, you're thinking, right? Yeah. Right? Finally, he's getting the sentence that he deserves. So this is the end of the story, right? Nope. While incarcerated, Barjona shared some of his fantasies of murder, dissection, and cannibalism with his psychiatrist who made the decision in 1979 to commit Barjona to the Bridgewater State Hospital for sexual predators. That's so weirdly specific. <laughs> it was made just for him, I think. While he was still interred on March 22nd, 1984, he changed his legal name to his present one, Barjona alternatively claiming that he wanted to honor his Jewish heritage or that he wanted to know what it was like to be a discriminated Jew. Uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Barjona was released from the hospital in July 1991. Why? When Superior Court Judge Walter E. Steele decided that the state had failed to prove he was dangerous. <laughs> wow. Is it just because, like, they didn't gather evidence or they couldn't get people to, like... I mean, a lot of times, one of the reasons that people choose children to like, prey upon, unfortunately, is that, A, they either can't speak for themselves, or B, their parents don't want to put them through the pain or trauma of a trial. So a lot of times, people do get away with child crimes. You and know? parents don't want to admit, or, like, at least publicly... Yeah, say like, hey, I let my Art. child basically yeah. get. So, and I mean, the perfect example of that is Richard Ramirez. He's known as being a serial killer. He's not known as being a serial pedophile, right? But it's because he was never charged with those crimes because the the children that he raped and molested, their parents didn't want to put their children through the, the pain of a trial. Yeah. So he's no weir weirdly dubbed as like a sexy serial killer with fucking terrible teeth and breath. But he was also like a serial predator of children. You know, he was a pedophile. So Barjona left the institution with a promise from his family to the court that they would this be is moving so to Montana. So like, hey, you have the promise to leave. 
Go so, away. Yeah, we'll let you out of prison or a hospital or whatever. Just it just, just don't leave come back Massachusetts. Here. Yeah. Go to Montana where it's just cows and open sky, right? Barjona attacked another boy three weeks after his release and was arrested on assault charges, but managed to be released without bail. What Again, the fuck, probably, dude? Like, it's probably because either a shitty law enforcement, which I mean, that's un, that's just a given with him. But I don't think that the parents I think at the time it was maybe unacceptable to have your child. It's like admitting that you were a shitty parent, I guess. Or not wanting to put your child through the pain of a trial or like having to relive shit. I don't know. But he just keeps getting away with shit. That's the crazy thing about this story. So this was three weeks after he was released. So he's still in Massachusetts. And they're like, okay, well, just go to Montana. Yeah. So they made a deal that required Barjona to, he had to join his family in Montana. He also received two years of probation. Barjona kept his word and left Massachusetts. So once in Montana, Barjona met with his probation officer and disclosed some of his past crimes. A request was made to the Massachusetts probation office to send more records regarding Barjona's history and psychiatric past, but no additional records were ever sent. (laughs) This is just insane. On a school day in February of 1996, 10-year-old Zach Ramsey disappeared on his way to school. Ramsey departed from the apartment he shared with his mother in the 400 block of North 4th Street in Great Falls, Montana at approximately 7.30 a.m. Some sources say it was February 10th. Some say it was February 6th. So that's why I kept it vague. But it was in 1996. He was walking to Witter School at the time. Witnesses saw him walk down the alley near the 400 block of North 5th Street shortly thereafter. He never arrived at school. Ramsey had run away once prior, about a month prior to his disappearance, but called his mother to come get him within an hour. And the only reason I bring that up is that it's not like it wouldn't totally be unheard of him running away from home. But he he obviously didn't want to do it for a long stretch of time because he immediately called his mom and was like, come get me. But again, because he potentially has that on his record, the police are probably not going to yeah. take his disappearance that seriously. And in, in this, like we talked about with like Johnny Gosh and stuff, like during this time. Kids were just seen as runaways. Yeah. Stranger danger, child abduction, all that stuff. Like it was fairly unheard of at this point. And so I think any missing kid was seen as almost like a runaway. Yeah. I think that race does play especially a role in this one, you know, looking at time period and stuff like this kid was mixed race, half black and half white. And I just think that it was easier, quote unquote, for the the police to overlook a little kid of color versus, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed little girl or something. He lived with his mother and two siblings at the time of his disappearance. His father was in the Air Force and was stationed in Colorado at the time. Ramsey liked drawing and painting. He was described as a reserved but friendly child. At the time of his disappearance, he was afraid of the dark. Witnesses saw an off-white vehicle almost running Ramsey over and later recounted that he was crying and appeared to be followed by an obese man around the time he disappeared. Detective Bill Belushi was assigned to investigate Ramsey's disappearance, though he was provided with a list of registered sex offenders living in the area by the FBI. Belushi disregarded it and centered his suspicion on Bar Jonah, who wasn't fucking registered. 
Probably because those files never came, right? Wow. Weird. After an unsuccessful police attempt to enter the home shared by Bar Jonah and his mother, Belushi solicited a search warrant of the property, but he was turned down. He later found out that Bar Jonah had access to his mother's off-white Toyota Corolla, hmm. that he had the day off, and that he had been seen standing in an alley just before Ramsey entered it. Hmm. Yeah, those are lots of red flags. Bar Jonah was also wearing a dark blue jacket that day, similar to that of a police officer's. Hmm. He was in constant close proximity to Ramsey and had mentioned Ramsey's name to an acquaintance a few days before he disappeared. Belushi unsuccessfully solicited a new search warrant. Sometime later, Bar Jonah moved out of his mother's house. Barjona managed to stay away from police until 1999 when he was arrested near an elementary school in Great Falls, Montana, dressed as a policeman and carrying a stun gun and pepper spray. During a search of his home, authorities found a pulley on the ceiling of Barjona's kitchen, two albums with cutouts of children, and two documents about bondage and autoerotic asphyxia. Asphyxia. A hard word, which that in and of itself I know isn't everything, but you guys can't see me right now, but I'm just shaking my head with my mouth open. This guy yeah. is fucking so disgusting. Two days later, Detective Belushi was granted a second search warrant for any documents and photographic material. Besides the albums, they also found several lists of boys' names later identified as boys from Barjona's youth in Massachusetts, including three that he molested. One also had an entry for Zachary Ramsey next to the word died. So they also found 3,500 photographs of Jesus children. Christ. That's a lot. Multiple news clippings about Ramsey's disappearance and undeveloped film containing sexual images Ugh. of Bar Jonah and three unidentified boys. Mm. And that is fucking totally gross. In addition, police discovered a book written in code, which was cracked and revealed to be a cookbook with recipes such as... <laughs> All right, here we go. Little Boy Pot Pie... French fried kid, little boy stew, and lunch is served on the patio with roasted child. Blech. Yeah. Those all sound like macabre sound song titles. And <laughs> yeah. That other podcast, Red Handed, does a pretty funny thing about macabre murder yeah. metal. Get into it, ladies. Finally. Police found a large, I don't want to say finally, but okay. So police find a large stained section of plywood in Bar Jonah's garage, which was scrubbed with bleach and also struck several times with a meat cleaver as if it had been used as a cutting board. Mm. A luminol test in the same room revealed the word Tita had been once written on the floor. This was tentatively linked to James Tita, a 15-year-old boy who was found raped and strangled in Ringe, New Hampshire, 1973. That whole that whole part with the cutting board or the plywood thing, yeah. that's so fucking disturbing. No, well, there's a meat grinder too. Yep, there is. 
Further inquiries seemed to confirm the officer's fear that Bar Jonah had killed and cooked Ramsey and possibly other children. It was learned that in the days after Ramsey's disappearance, Bar Jonah held cookouts for his neighbors mm. with strange meat sauces. He served chili, deer, quote, deer burgers that tasted strange, once saying that he had hunted, killed, butchered, and wrapped the meat personally. However, Bar Jonah did Ugh. not own a gun or a hunting license, and credit card res- uh, and credit card records suggested that he stopped buying food for a month after Ramsey disappeared. Oh my god! Oh, dude, this is fucking insane. This guy I is know. fucking. But what's so crazy is that it's like all signs point to obviously he killed this kid and ate him and gave him to his neighbors, like in weird chilies and spaghetti meat sauces and burgers, which is fucked, right? But. Technically speaking, it's all circumstantial evidence. So, like, you cannot tie no body, no crime. Uh, corpus delicti, delicti, delicti. I don't know. Can they like do a DNA of their turds and find? But I mean, what, I mean what's the time? This is like seventies, eighties. I'm just saying, could they? Is that a thing? Can you like do a DNA? It had been years. Because the thing is, Zach Ramsey went missing in '96. He wasn't arrested. He didn't. He didn't even see a police. Like he didn't actually get in trouble until '99. So just, this is three uh, yeah. years after the. No, fact. I know that. In this I don't case, think so. In this case, I'll, I I don't totally think not. so. I think that once flesh passes through your system, it like fucks with it to the point where I don't think it would be distinguishable. I don't. I I'm not a scientist, but I'm guessing that it would be very hard to extract DNA from poop, like somebody else's DNA, not the pooper. I'm Sorry. surprised we've never seen this on forensic files. Well, we haven't human looked hard DNA enough. From poop. Yeah. Okay. Next episode. A former roommate of Barjona had seen a pair of bloody gloves and soiled boys' clothing oh, matching God. Ramsey's at Barjona's apartment. Barjona had also surprised people several times by bringing up Ramsey including one time when he said that Ramsey would never be found because he had been chopped up and the parts were scattered in different places. Finally, okay, here we go. Hair that resembled a human's was found inside Bar Jonah's meat grinder and an excavation at a former residence uncovered 21 bone fragments belonging to a boy between 8 and 13 years old. Mm. The house's pipes could not be examined because the neighbors who moved in afterward had changed them due mm-hmm. to them being constantly clogged. And, you know, I was just thinking about it. This is the late 90s. This is after the O.J. Simpson case. They could do shit with DNA at this point. Yeah. Well, they do some DNA tests on this hair. DNA from the hair and bones belonged to two different African-American males, neither of whom was Ramsey. Ramsey's mother later refused to believe that her son was dead or that Bar Jonah was in any way related to his disappearance. A psychic had convinced her that Ramsey was alive and living in Italy. She said that she viewed a videotape of her son frolicking around in a playground in 2000. Authorities said that they verified the tape was filmed in Italy where the child's father was stationed with the United States military at the time. His dental records and fingerprints did not match Ramsey's, but she was still convinced it could be him. 
she threatened to defend Bar Jonah if he was brought to trial for her son's murder, right? So so not only do you have like inept law enforcement not doing the things they should do, but you have this sadly grieving mother who absolutely cannot accept accept that her son is potentially dead. And so you can't be charged for someone's murder. No body, no crime, right? Well, that and also the mother was like, I will defend Bar Jonah. (laughs) Dude, this case is totally crazy. She's she's like convinced. She's like, no, he's not gone. And if this goes to trial, I'll be on the side of Bar Jonah because he did not kill my son, period. My son is still alive somewhere. So... Real quick, they found African-American hair in the meat grinder. So of his known victims, are any of them African-American? There's so many. Yes. Well, there, you're yes. just saying there is the the mixed person, right? Yeah. So the mixed race kid is Ramsey. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the two African-American boys, I, we're going to go into a couple other crimes that he could be potentially like matched with but i don't know if they mentioned race but it does seem like he did prey upon little black boys it does seem like it okay i didn't know that part yeah i didn't really either but like it has and that's the thing like that's what's so infuriating about this case is that the details are all over the place eventually the charges related to ramsey's disappearance were dropped no surprise right and the police focused on other possible victims two names in the list uh, belonged to two boys who lived in the same apartment building as Bar Jonah, who were in also his photographic film. One of the boys confirmed that Bar Jonah invited them to a sleepover and then molested them. But the other boy visited Bar Jonah in jail and wrote to him saying that he was his friend and he had never harmed him. And again, Bar Jonah, child predators, you know, child molesters. They know how to groom children. They know how to manipulate children. They know how to fuck with their heads. And and again, I just think there's so many flukes that happen in his story. This is just another example of one that a victim is just not willing to be identified as a victim. Yeah, that whole Stockholm Syndrome yeah. thing is fucking insane too. Nevertheless, he was charged with sexual assault, aggravated kidnapping, and assault with a deadly weapon. It, uh, in relation to practicing erotic asphyxia with one of the boys in the with the kitchen's pulley system. In July of 2000, which is crazy to think that was only like 20 years ago, Bar Jonah was charged with Zachary Ramsey's murder and for kidnapping and sexually assaulting the three other boys who lived with him in the apartment complex. So all of that happened in 2000. But remember we said... Ramsey's mother was not willing to allow that charge to stick because she was like, no, my son's not dead. So that charge of murder was dropped. So at this point, he only had the sexual assaults of the other boys that lived in the apartment complex, one of which wasn't totally verified. So the Ramsey case was dismissed against Barjona in October of 2002 as the result of a lack of evidence and corroboration. Ramsey's mother still believes that her son is still alive out there somewhere. Later that same year in 2002, Barjona was sentenced to 130 years without the possibility of parole for the sexual assault of that one boy in his apartment complex and torturing another boy by suspending him from the kitchen ceiling. Finally, this guy finally, gets like, a jail sentence. Fucking finally. So in December 2004... 
the Montana Supreme Court turned down Bar Jonah's appeals and upheld the conviction of the 130-year prison sentence. On April 13, 2008, Nathaniel Bar Jonah was found dead in his prison cell. He only fucking served six years. So even when he finally gets 130 years, he fucking dies young. He dies at 51. It was decided that the death was the result of his poor health. He weighed over 300 pounds, and the cause of death was listed as myocardial infarction. I hope I said that right. Myotish. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Basically, a heart attack. Okay. Yeah, another source said it was like a blood clot. I just think he was so unhealthy that he had so many comorbidities. You know, whatever. Fucking COVID. I don't know. He was just a fat piece of shit that deserved to die. So good on you for dying, you fuck. Anyways, three years later, Ramsey's father had him. De- so three years after this, Ramsey's father declared Ramsey legally dead to the opposition of yeah, Ramsey's his, mother. Yeah, Ramsey's mother was pissed about that because she did not want to believe it. Yeah. The father was finally like. We got to we got to finalize wrap this. It up. Yeah. yeah. You know, I. I Hope, Closure. I hope we're never in that position because that sounds fucking terrible. Yeah. Bar Jonah is also to believe. Bar Jonah is also believed to have committed murders in Montana, because of the findings made in his residences. Those bones, right? Mm-hmm. He was also investigated for possible crimes in Alberta and Saskatchewan, Canada, where he lived at times during the nineties. But police found no links between him and any unsolved crimes. Barjona is also a possible suspect in the 1973 disappearance of Janice Pocket from Connecticut. Barjona was a teenager at the time Pocket disappeared, but apparently had a criminal background at an early age, obviously. He also resided near Pocket's last known location at the time she disappeared. Authorities also investigated the possibility that Barjona was connected to the 1997 Wyoming disappearance of Amanda Gallion. Gallion is classified as a runaway, but her social security number has not been used since her disappearance. Yeah, it's a lot like I, it reminds me of kind of like Israel Keys, where he operated so secretly and weirdly all over the place that once he died... They were trying to find any kind of connection, like where was he ever, and is there any like, missing persons case or like, unsolved murder that happened there during a time when he potentially flew into town that day? And they have tentatively linked him to a couple murders here and there, but kind of reminds me of that. I was just this guy is so dangerous and potentially a serial killer that we've never been able to nab. They're just trying to like grasp at straws because potentially this guy was a serial killer, but he was never kind of slated as one while he was alive. And we we saw an interview with him and he very much does not want to admit anything. Right. Yeah. He says he's he really the, he's really know, dismissive. Change the subject. Or They're I'm like, here or whatever. do you, you think Zachary Ramsey's still alive? And he was like, I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. If like, you give me food, I might answer you. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Yeah. Do you think when people like Bar Jonah die, authorities kind of try to 
pin stuff on them. Put like other cases yeah. on him so they can clear their sheets. Yeah, or absolutely. Whatever. I mean, so. the confession killer, right. fucking uh, what's his name? Ugly face McGee. What's his name? The confession killer. The confession killer. Yeah. Uh, what was his name? I. You're the name person. I want to say Leo Tolstoy, but that's like an old writer. What was his name? No, I know it. Amy doesn't want to get schooled, so she's cheating right now. She's on yeah. her phone. But I just wonder like how many crimes are just pinned to like these. Henry Lee Lucas. Duh. <laughs> Henry Lee Lucas. So like he potentially only killed one person, like his mom or something. They were just like you said, like, oh, give me food and I'll confess to it. Basically, like they gave him milkshakes. And he was like, sure, I'll say that I killed that person. Just keep giving me milkshakes. And he was, you know, the police. They're like, hey, we have these three unsolved. Didn't he live here for like a second? And they're like, sure. They're like, OK, cool. We just cleared our cases. He confessed to over 90 murders and probably maybe only committed one. That's a lot of milkshakes. That's a lot of milkshakes. And he wasn't even that fat. He just had like no teeth. Well, sugar will do that. <laughs> yeah. This Barjona guy, he's like a fucking... He's a boogeyman. He's like a shark of a human. Like, he's got one purpose. And, you know, one of the last shark weeks that I watched, there was, like, someone that, like, this, like, researcher that has, uh, has this understanding. Yeah, this old lady who, uh, it, she's like the shark whisperer. And she's, like, buddies with the sharks or whatever, but... Our old conception of sharks that they're just like these killing machines with one focus in life. The only goal in life is just like to Jaws. Eat. Yeah, exactly. Like that's Bar Jonah. He just wants to like he's a stereotypical shark. Rape. Which sharks don't want to rape. That's dolphins. That's dolphins. Yeah, yeah. we another heard, episode. Yeah. We could. Yeah, that was an early episode. Watch out for dolphins. Yeah, you're the one that swims with them all the time. I know. I dress real sexy too, but they they don't they don't come around. Your slick little wetsuit. I'm too slick. All right. So, what do we think? <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I told you guys what I think. I I I think that he is not well known because he's not seen as a serial killer. He's seen as a serial child molester. But I think he's got some fucking bodies in his closet that we will just never for I sure know about they unfortunately not in his closet they were in his belly oh that's true in his neighbor's Ugh. bellies oh and the pipes of his old house gosh and the that yard. reminds me of dennis nelson yeah this guy the kindly killer i think this case isn't very well known too because it's just too fucking disturbing a this guy is just Killing, he's raping, and, and he's gross. eating these fucking people, and he looks like a he looks like a human monster. I mean, a, a lot of these kids got away because this fat man—they <laughs> could outrun he's like him. Someone that you would want to run away from. Okay, so that's all fucked up. And then B, like the total inept police situation yeah, yeah, yeah. is like it's fucking no communication between departments like yeah sure just move to a different state leave us alone keep yeah. your killing spree or you know fucking pedophile spree somewhere else and it's like oh the records didn't make it there you know strange right yeah i know it's like fucking way to follow up guys so there you go if i do end up reading the trilogy of books which i wouldn't put past me we could definitely do a more in-depth episode on this guy. But, man, there's your fucking shitty appetizer to this guy. 
appetizer. Nice choice of words. Um, oh God. I think we I've gotten as far into this fucker as <laughs> I want. You can join our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group and tell us to go further or not to. Please tell us not to. Follow us on Twitter, TC Dumpster, and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and YouTube, and many other platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. Tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Goodbye. Bye.